Please welcome Franz Gilbert, Managing Director, Human Cap- Capital Ecosystems and Alliances with Deloitte. Hello. Somebody said I was going to have a tough time wrapping this up, and I was like, the conversations have been amazing, no problem. Then I heard traffic. So I'm going to try to work through this. One, I, I, I wanted to share some numbers with you, and I know earlier and in the slide where people were talking about the numbers are scary, but I do think this is really important that you understand something because there's a little bit of misnomer about labor participation rate that has not been covered today. So first of all, everyone talks about the decline since the year 2000. Look at the middle of the chart. That's 2000. What's interesting is the highest the state of Georgia's labor participation rate has ever been, as long as it's been measured, is 70%. Okay, so I want to walk you through a little bit of math here to make sure you understand really what the problem looks like. And the numbers are rough just because there's always a time series issue. But one, roughly about 10 million people in Georgia, right? Okay, 8 million are over the age of 14. Everyone with me so far? Okay. We've got an unemployment rate of about 3.4%, which means that there's 167,000 people that are available to work right now. Everyone with me so far? All right. Now, if you said, let's magically make it where we went from 61% to 70%, the highest the labor participation rate has ever been in Georgia, and made all those people 100% immediately start working, that'd add another, that add another 728 thousand people, giving us a total of 895, right? Okay, does anybody remember how many jobs were open when, in Chris's speech in first thing in the morning? 413,000, right? So you go, we have 413,000, and we have 895,000 people. Problem solved, right? All right, here's another fun one. How many people would like to stop working when they're over 74? Okay. All right, seems to be a pretty much a consensus, which means subtract 550,000 people in the state of Georgia today are over the age of 74, which means that we're actually dealing with 345,000 people. So a couple of things that this means. One is we're not dealing with the law of large numbers. What we're dealing with is the law of small numbers. And so when you hear stories today where someone was talking about Coca-Cola, where they were really excited that they graduated two people from their CDL from a school, that's a wonderful thing, right? If you're in a school district where you were able to get 15 people into a robotics club, that's going to make an amazing impact, right? So what I want to make sure and what the most exciting thing about today is when I looked at the people in the audience, every one of you is going to be critical to changing this number. Everyone with me so far? Here's one last piece, and she brought it up specifically, is that realize this is not a big business problem. Now, again, rough numbers, bear with me. United States working population, about 162 million. If you look at companies that employ over 1,000 people, and you look at the US-wide, 14.2 million of those are employed by companies larger than 1,000 people, out of 162. So roughly about 10 to 12% of the United States population is employed by big business. The other 90%, smaller than that. Right? So as you're thinking about who your community is and who your outreach is, you need to be thinking about your entire community because that's where the bulk of the need is. So, all right, everyone concerned about this now? But hopefully everyone's excited because there's two things that we want to encourage you to do. One, first and foremost, is think about those folks that are right now the underrepresented or the marginalized populations that are not 
in that population. And there's some easy ones. One, what are you doing for the folks that are over 65, over 74? How are you changing how work is done? I mean, we keep on talking about electricians, right? You know, well, one of the things is we're moving the distri distributed electrical regulated monitoring systems, right, where it's a lot more IP-based systems. Well, now you have a job that you don't have to be on site to do. Huh. I wonder if there's people that are retired that might be interested in doing that as an electrician, right? Two, also think about our disabled populations. This is a really scary number. And I will tell you, when my team put this together, I had them check it three times, right? And they finally said, here's, here's the data, right? I mean, just to give you an idea, you know, 35% of the United States neurodiverse population is not employed. And all we have to do is change how the work is done, right? Think about interviewing. You know, if we train people right now, when you interview people, you know, what do you look for? Eye contact. How's that work for a neurodiverse person? Okay. We also talk about refugees, right? We want to get more immigrants into Georgia, employ them. Well, an interesting thing, in the United States, from a personality style perspective, when we talk about our accomplishments, it's I did this, right? You know, when you think about when you interview, you want to hear someone talking about what they accomplished. There are other cultures in the United States where they really cannot use the word I, it's we. And so when those populations interview, they often score lower on interviews because it doesn't sound like that person drove the results. And so sometimes there's just simple things in from a relationship standpoint and how you interview that can allow us to target those populations better and get the benefit of them. So there's piece number one of how do you target other populations. Second piece is we have to innovate our way out. Fundamentally, we will not have enough people to solve the problem. Just fundamentally, there, there are not going to be enough people that can do it. So what we have to do is you have to figure out how are we going to change the nature of work being done. Now again, this often feels like a big business problem, and that's not the case, right? Realize every industry out there, every size employer is gonna have to figure out how to do their work differently. You know, and this means using AI, generative AI capabilities. There's a bunch of disruptive technologies coming down the pipe. But I'll give you an example. So I was recently in another town where I w at a hotel and they texted me and they said, thank you for, you know, and by the way, it's awesome you all did the hospitality thing. That thing made me about cry on that video. That was amazing. But I got a text saying, if you need a bottle of water, let us know. Our robot will bring it to you. And I was like, no way, right? So I, of course, I texted. I'd like a bottle of water, right? So sure enough, they, you know, and I was thinking about it, I was like, how in the world is this robot thing going to work, right? And here's what they did is the robot was down by the front desk. It opens up a lid, they put a bottle of water in it, it's got ice, it goes over, it gets in the elevator, comes up, comes out the door, goes up to the door. Now, what it did, I was like, how in the world is it gonna knock the door, right? You know, is it gonna do something like this? What's that gonna look like? Well, what it did is it did a ding dong off of the television. It went bing dong, right? And it said, your robot is waiting. I was like, that's cool. I opened the door and all of a sudden the lid opens up and there's a bottle of water and it says, it has a touch LED on it. It says, how's your experience so far? Rate us one through five. Right? And I was like, oh, well, of course, five, robot. Right? This is kind of neat. Then, of course, I had to watch. The robot went, you know, realized I took the bottle of water out, the lid shut, and walked over the elevator. Weirdest thing. I was like, how in the world was I going to do the elevator? And it just stood there, and the elevator just opened its door and rode in right? and went down. By the way, I got two more bottles of water that night. But, <laughs> but I want you to think about it from a hospitality standpoint. One, you got a robot. 
right? Somebody's got to maintain the robot. Someone's got to do the technical services to it. Two, somebody had to think and say, okay, from a load balancing, how do we do the SMS text communication from the person to the office to make sure that they put the bottle of the water in there? Two, they used RFID technology to make it so that a robot could talk to the elevator, right? Then two, that means somebody upstairs figured out how do I make the robot communicate with the television on a per room basis, right? Because it didn't ding everyone's television. It did that per room, right? So you had an amazing amount of peace. And then you had somebody in marketing saying, by the way, since we did this, let's really imprint this in their mind. Are you having a good experience? Rate us one through five, right? Now think about what this looks like from a collaboration standpoint, the skill sets that you need to innovate in the future. You had somebody with RFID. You had somebody that had somebody in new elevators. You had to have somebody that figured out what the water load, with the labor, all of that, right? Innovation is going to be very different in the future. Everyone with me so far? Awesome. So what does this mean? It means the end of jobs. But what this really means is that the way we do jobs, this idea of I'm doing job X goes away, right? That doesn't exist anymore. The skill sets are changing too fast, problem number one. Problem number two, if you think about it, if you were a company and you normally had four people that did four skills, right? Bear with me a second. In, you know, 10, 15 years ago, four people, four job types, you're good to go. Well, now you're same company, let's assume similar revenue type, and now you need 18 different types of skills. Well, you can't have 18 type of people because if you think about the labor cost, it's just not gonna do it. So as a, as a result, we're gonna have to figure out how to do fractional employment to get the skills that we need to innovate and to run our businesses. So if you're a small business, you're not gonna hire somebody to go run your social media full time. Are you gonna use Gigster or somebody else or Elance to find somebody that's gonna run your social media campaign part-time? You betcha, right? And it's this type of change that's going to be a difference in how we do jobs, right? It's going to be I go learn skill X. Everyone with me, all right? Awesome. So think about this now also, we talked earlier in the day, Commissioner Dozer started hinting on this, is that if jobs are going away, it's no longer a role-based education system. It's a skills-based education system, which means that is going to constantly be evolving, right? You know, one day you may be going, ooh, we're gonna be teaching Python. Okay, that's fantastic. Now we're gonna be getting into AI. Well, now we need to know R, and we need to be knowing, there's, a, there's something called Panda. And then I found out there's another thing called Cura. I don't know who names these things, but they change so quickly, right? So these skills are constantly going to have to be refreshed. So as a result, from an education standpoint, you no longer can do a program around software engineering, right? It's going to be skills-based, very rapid, and so the idea of what we're seeing from a Deloitte perspective is an absolute drive to more certifications and micro-certifications. And it's not just going to be on the technical standpoint, right? And we're gonna see fractionalized employment. Sound good? All right, and you're all gonna stop saying sounds good. This sounds like crazy. All right. But here's how this is gonna be a little more, even more interesting, is this is where we get into the gig economy. Because of this fractionalization, we are seeing a massive increase in the use of gig workers, contractors, freelance, whatever you wanna term them, there's a whole different kind of, you know, number of definitions behind this. But basically, companies are having to get used to how do I work with my non-employees and think about that differently. Now, when we think about workforce ecosystem from a Deloitte perspective, we've now done three years of research with MIT, and we actually extended a little bit further. Because you know, we say not only do you need to think about 
you know, contractors, right, traditional. You also have to think about gig workers. Okay, that's interesting. Now you also have to start thinking about what you're doing with your education partners. What are you doing with your partners and from an ecosystem, other vendors that you can be participating with? And all the way to what are you doing with AI, right? So the way we should be thinking about workforce ecosystem is very, very broad. But now think about how we all normally think, right? We normally think as leaders in our organizations, whether you're in a school or a nonprofit or a business, the way we think about our organization is I have to have my people around me. I have a culture that I have to do. I have a career path for them. Well, if, you take, if you're bringing in contractors, how do you do a career path for them? You can't. It's different, right? Because at any point in time, you're procuring them for a fractional piece of work, and when they're done, they're done, right? And Oh, by the way, they could be working for three different companies at the exact same time. So our model of how we even think about our employment is going to radically change. Sound good so far? All right. So ironically, somebody started out the day with this, right? We heard the commissioner, Bruce, of labor talk about, he said, you know, that he's not in the claims business, he's not in the workforce business, he's in the people business, right? Very awesome. Okay, you are. This is cool. All right. Then we also had another person talk about this. Right, they, it was the Georgia Tech saying that they, you know, it was the provost saying he had changed their model from technology, innovation, and humanity. Right, because as a result, if we're changing the way we interact with each other, if there's no employer-employee, right, it's contractor, gig worker, partner, right, ecosystems, we fundamentally have to change the way we think about how we interact from a work perspective, which means we have to humanize it. There has to be more collaboration, more peer-to-peer, -peer, right? It's a much flatter organization. It's pay for results, right? It's no longer you get paid because you're here 12 years. It's paid because what are your skills? Well, that's humanizing it based off the person. So what does this mean for us in the room? And this is the thing I'm so proud of you all, right? Because you all have done an amazing job in the, during the day. And I, I truly, it's been a sincere honor to listen to what you all are working on. On the, from a policy perspective, right? Here are things that we can do different from a business, from a cooperation standpoint. But what I want to charge you all with is, this also comes to us as how are we going to lead differently, right? Because it all starts with us, right? And so there's a couple of things. When, from a Deloitte perspective, when we look at the future of leadership and how we have to lead in order to kind of navigate through what this future is going to look like that's constantly going to be changing, there's a couple of skills that we have to take into account. One, we have to get better at building trust, right? The idea of you come work for a company for 50 years and you get a gold watch at the end of it, that's gone, right? If you want people to come and work for you and start devoting their lives and building their, their families around what you do from a company perspective, you have to start really, really building trust, right, with your employees. They have to know what you're going to do and you have to be know what your vision. Two is you have to create purpose, right? it's no longer about the paycheck, right? Because it's gonna get even more complicated from a pay perspective because now Deloitte Research is we're, we're pretty much 100% confident that hybrid is for real, right? It, it, you are always going to have hybrid workers. There are always gonna be people that are virtual. And what that means is that you may have the best software engineer in your county. They may be absolutely amazing, but you may have Apple competing for them, right? So as a result, you're not gonna be able to always compete on pay. Right, because there's going to be somebody else that you traditionally haven't been competing with to, for your same people. So as a result, you have to give them purpose. 
You have to help them understand why what they're doing is important and what this does to their values, their family, their community, and for you. And so that purpose piece is gonna be the second piece. Third, we've been talking about the orchestrating ecosystems. And this is what I was really proud. We had 277 people in here this morning and 155 organizations. I think you all got this part figured out, right? It's all about the ecosystems. You know, how do you do the investment of the private business putting $50 million into a, a nurse program that benefits everyone in that community, right? Pretty phenomenal. Fourth one is advocating work-life balance. Now, th this one sounds really simple. Everyone's like, yeah, yeah, we get it, right? It's actually more important than this. I want to ask you a question. How many, how many people, because you're all leaders in this room, how many of you have taken a three-week vacation How many of you have taken a two-week vacation in the last two years? Okay, guess what? Your employees notice, right? You can't tell them, use your PTO, be your best, right? Because if you're going to think about what, you know, our, our wonderful chancellor, he said FIO, right? What, what was FIO? Figure it out. They have to be at their best to figure it out. They can't be tired. They can't be working 80 hours a week. They can't be exhausted. They have to be at their best to figure it out. Well, that means you have to have work-life balance. And I will tell you, we see it at Deloitte. For the first time, I mean, I, I can see the trends. I am seeing senior partners literally taking three-week vacations. And the reason being is they know not only is it important to them, but the, the signal it sends to everyone else saying it is very important that you have it. So be thinking about how are you living work-life balance because they're watching it. And then the last piece, and again, I think this is just an amazing day, and it's been a true honor to be here with the Georgia Chamber, is it's about facilitating connections, right? Because the future is going to be, how do you do that fractionalized skill work across companies and across organizations? And how do you turn around and very quickly go, you know, wait a minute, we just, you know, we've got somebody that needs to figure out prompt engineer. Okay, I have no idea. prompt engineer did not exist two years ago. And for those of you who don't know, generative AI is the, like chatbots, right? Where you can, you can go and you can talk to it and it gives you very large, large language models. We well, have to prompt it. So they've come up with this new term of prompt engineer. Well, companies are now, no kidding, they're already advertising for prompt engineers. How many schools have a prompt engineer program already? It's this speed that's going to have to happen, right? Where from a curriculum, from a certification, from a development standpoint, you have to have that connectivity that much tighter because the pace by which we're going to change is going to do nothing but go faster, right? And so it's these five leadership skills that are gonna not only make you successful, but since you role model it, it's gonna make our future successful. Now, does that sound good? Yes, awesome. Well, with that, I'm open for questions, but thank you so much for the honor of being here. And I cannot see, so if anybody's got their hand raised, I can't see it. Over there, okay. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't know, I, but I'm not allowed to name the brand of the company that did it. Uh, but Awesome. Any other questions? Yes. 
Oh, I'm sorry, was there somebody else? Or, okay. Um, so for those of you who couldn't hear, the question is, is how have we learned the best way to communicate with individuals that are in high school or middle school trying to come into our, our industry, and uh, our industry being professional services? And what I can tell you is the, it's kind of, and it's the marketing term of hyper-personalization. Is the beauty is we've learned and we've learned to appreciate that everyone brings their own experiences to the table. Now, my industry, you know, from a Deloitte perspective, and it's not an advertisement for Deloitte, but if you think about what we do really, really well, is it's not that we hire amazingly smart people, right? That, that's not it, because that's, that's a one-to-one -one relationship. What's absolutely makes Deloitte able to do what we do is we bring an amazingly diverse set of people together and get them to collaborate. And so what we're very careful about is making sure those teams understand that it's not one person's product that makes us successful. It's the fact that we'll have 10 people in a room that come from different economic, different ethnic backgrounds, different nationalities, different mental capabilities, different work styles. All of that together will give us a result that most of our clients may not be able to replicate on their own because we have the privilege and the honor of being able to put those teams together. And so, so kind of, it's, so that's our business model, right? Our business model fundamentally is about our people. So as a result, if you go back to the values, what we do, which is just incredibly important to us, is we have to live the values every day that you talked that I put up on that screen. So when we go to hire, I mean, you know, just again, not intended to be a Deloitte advertisement, but you can look at our transparency report. Uh, Deloitte is incredibly unique in terms of the transparency report that we've done. We published all of our DEI numbers for every single level. Right? We made it very clear. Here's what we're doing well. Here's what we're not doing well. Here's what we're aspiring to do better. Here's our successes, and we want to do better at this. From a training perspective, we announced that we're doing $1.2 billion in investment in learning over the next 10 years. From a purpose perspective, we announced that we're doing over $100 million in investment from a sustainability and diversity perspective. Right? So all of those things, and again, not intended to be, a, but it's what we've learned is if I want to hire the best out there, I have to live every day, that purpose, work-life balance, all of that is incredibly key. So, so at the end of the day, how do you get the best? You have to be authentic leaders. Awesome, fantastic question. All right, any others? Awesome, well with that, I know we had traffic coming. Thank you so much for the honor of being here.